Please turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. We're going to be in this morning, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Remember last week we were in Acts chapter 1, and we saw the commission that's been given to the church. The mission of the church is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And if you recall, the disciples' reaction to that was a bit confused at first, right? They thought that Jesus was immediately going to establish the kingdom for Israel, wipe out the Roman government. And he said, no, it's going to be a mystery form of the kingdom, men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So your calling is to bear witness to all. And it was frightening for them. Remember, they had just been cowering as Jesus had been arrested and crucified. And now he's saying, I want you to go back and talk about my resurrection to the very people who crucified me. And I want you to tell not just them, but I want you to take this to all nations. And it was overwhelming for them. Most of them had probably never been outside of Israel. And now he's saying, I want you to bear witness to the resurrection to men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And so they were completely disoriented. And Jesus said, okay, just relax. (laughs) All I want you to do at this point is go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the power that I will give to you. Because you're not ready to fulfill this until you experience the filling of the power of the Spirit. So they went to Jerusalem, and as promised, Jesus sent the Spirit, and this community was radically transformed. The first thing that they did... As they began to obey their calling and they gave testimony to the resurrection. And as they spoke the truth that Jesus told them to speak, God's spirit went into people's hearts. And it says they were cut to the quick with conviction that they had rejected Jesus. And there was a mass revival. And the the church was born. 3,000 people in one day. It went from 120 to 3,000 instant megachurch, right? And, And lives were transformed. I mean, genuinely transformed. And the community was transformed. Previously, they had been fearful and self-centered and honestly quite greedy. And they turned outward and became generous, supplying the needs of the new community, supplying needs for one another. It was this amazing transformation. And church, that's what we want to be. We want want to be a church like that. So last week, we talked about the the power of the Spirit to to overcome our, our fears and to overcome our hesitations and to make us courageous, bold witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to talk about generosity. How do we become a genuinely generous community? And, and what does that look like for us? So we're going to start at the very beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2. And I want you to read with me in verse 41. It says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Right? So at the, the birth of the church, some really unique things happened. It's a day like a no, no other day in the life of the church. Um, from 120 people in the morning following Christ to 3,000 in the afternoon, which presented some very practical needs and demands on this new community of followers. Right? Most of them were from out of town. These were Jews from all over the known world who had descended upon Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, for this festival season. So as they came in, they came in with limited means. They, they came in with some money to make their offerings, and then they were planning on going home. But now you have 3,000 of them. 
And because of the outpouring of the Spirit, they all want to stay in Jerusalem for a while. And they want to listen to the disciples' teaching. And the disciples want to train them so they can send them back to the nations with the message of the resurrection. So how do they house all of these people? How do they feed all these people? Well, the, the church came together and they said, well, we'll make sacrifices. Those who brought extra laid their offerings at the apostles' feet. Those who lived locally would sell property and possessions and lay it at the apostles' feet. So no one had any needs. All could stay. All could worship together. And literally, it says every day, all day long, they're together. Now, this is not uh, the command that applies directly to Grace Bible Church right now today. I'm not going to tell you, right, for the rest of the week, I want you to just skip work, come all day, every day, right? That was a, a point in time. If we all did that, we'd be without work. We'd quickly run out of money. That's not the point, right? And actually, if you look later in the book of Acts and the epistles, this didn't happen every day. But on this day was born a genuinely radical, generous community. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4 and look at the description just a few days later of this community. Chapter 4, verse 32. It says, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was on them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So not every particular of the day of Pentecost applies to us, but one does, and that is God has called us to be deeply, radically generous people. Why is this so important? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. The first is this, because generosity honors God. Generosity honors God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Last chapter of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul writes, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Notice the language that he uses at the end of verse 18 is actually the language of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He says, when you give generously, that's like incense going up before God. It rises all the way into his throne room, and it's it's a pleasing aroma. It's a fragrant aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice to him. That is, your giving of your material resources is an act of worship. Now, notice I didn't just say Giving honors God, but generosity honors God because we, we can give for a lot of different reasons. Right? It's, it's sacrificial, joyful generosity that actually is an act of worship. As Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, because what God loves is a cheerful giver. Right? The word for cheerful from the Greek word gives our English word Hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver who's making the offering with joy in his or her heart, as, a, as opposed to grudgingly or under compulsion. Now, I'm curious, does, does anyone know uh, Christine Rowe? Anyone in here know who Christine Rowe is? 
Actually, I'm going to guess that probably a third to a half of you write her checks uh, every year. Christine Rowe, is it ringing a bell now? Yeah, okay, now you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, that's the tax assessor collector. And you actually write the check to her, Christine Rowe, tax assessor collector. Uh, I write those checks multiple times a year, and, and I, hate, I hate it, like I'm angry as I'm writing the check. I've never met Christine Rowe. She's probably just an awesome, amazing person. And actually, one of her friends came up afterwards and said, I'm going to tell her <laughs> that, you, that you talked about her. I go, okay. You know, I just go, oh, man, I don't, I don't have joy at all in writing that check. Last year, I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I looked out and saw the side of our house, and I saw this big crack side of our house because I live in the Brazos Valley and the foundation was shifting and I had to call a friend who does foundation repair and write a check for thousands of dollars and I was angry like I'm crabby that I live in this clay place where everything shifts around I didn't enjoy that I also had to buy new tires for my jeep and I had no joy it was begrudging like I mean you know Blake likes buying things like tires for cars I had no joy in doing that it was it was begrudging and, you know, as I write these things and these checks, I, was, I, I try to bring spiritual realities into everything. And I think about how this intersects my spiritual life. And I thought, you know, when I write a check for the Lord, what's going on in my heart? Am I doing it joyfully, sacrificially? Is there hilarity in my giving or am I, am I resistant to it? Is it a genuine act of worship for me? I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 35. Exodus 35, there is a beautiful illustration of joyful generosity. Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. The setting is that Israel has been rescued out of slavery. They are now in the wilderness, and God said, you're going to travel for a while, and so I want you to have a way to worship me. Not a permanent dwelling, but a tabernacle, a tent that you will move around with you, and this will be your place of worship. And so you're going to have to give in order to build this. Chapter 35, verse 4. It says, Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, etc., etc. Notice the one phrase he says. Whoever is of a willing heart. If your heart's in it, give, and if your heart's in it, don't. Because what's most important in your giving is the attitude of your heart. Verse 20, chapter 35. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred within him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all those whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone whose heart was stirred, that's the Hebrew word lave. It's the center not just of emotion, but also of your, your volition, your will, your intention, your mind, your thinking. That is, the inner man wanted to do it. Right? Only those who wanted to do it came and they gave and they gave and they gave and they gave. Look at chapter 36 and verse 3. It says, they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work and the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction of the work which the Lord commanded us to perform. 
So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform the work of contributions for the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. Moses says, okay, stop. You've just got to stop. This is, again, an amazing moment. What happened? Why were their hearts stirred? Well, because they had just experienced the power of God's greatness. God had destroyed the Egyptian army. He had made a mockery of, of Pharaoh and all of Pharaoh's gods, brought them out of slavery into abundance. He had even given them the, the wealth of Egypt. Each person said to his neighbor, make a contribution to me and my God. And they plundered the Egyptians as they walked out. Then they got into the wilderness and God provided for them food. They, they had manna in the wilderness and they had quail and they had water. They experienced his grace and his power. And they said, we have got to worship And so when they had this moment, this opportunity to provide for the worship of the community as it traveled through the desert, they just gave and they gave and they gave and they gave. Because their hearts were in it. That's the kind of generosity that moves the heart of God. Because it is worship. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Worship is literally worth-ship. To declare worth. And in the simplest terms, how do, I, how do I ascribe a value to something? Well, I, I can with my money. Right? If something's valuable to me, I put money toward it. Or I choose not to make a purchase or not to make a contribution because it isn't valuable enough to me. I ascribe worth. That's worth-ship. So we ascribe worth to God, at least in part, not just through our singing and our praise and the songs, the time that we've offered here, but also through our money, through our giving. Now, I want to give you an illustration It kind of, uh, it's a little embarrassing because it kind of it makes fun of my tribe a bit. It's not overly embarrassing because it's not me, but I w- want you to hang with me for just a second. Uh, this is uh, uh, an Instagram page that it was pointed out to me uh, a few weeks ago. It's called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's pictures of preachers in sneakers, right? It's pictures of preachers in sneakers, and then alongside the picture of the preacher is a picture of his sneakers and how much his sneakers cost, right? So here are a few illustrations. Uh, I start on the low end here on the left. Those are uh, just $995 here, but then you've got a couple pair of, of Yeezys, one for almost $6,000 and then another for almost $4,000, uh, a pair of Jordan 1 retros for $3,000. So, you know, I didn't put the actual photos of the preachers themselves <laughs> up there, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is in- incredible. Um, now, I'm not like a maven of pop culture. I didn't even know what Yeezys were until about a year ago. And you, some of you probably never heard of Yeezys, but 6,000 bucks for a pair of sneakers. I promise you, I will not ever be on that Instagram page just because I'm cheap. Like I had a pair of Air Jordans. I wish I still had them. They're awesome. But there's no way that I'm ever going to pay $3,000 for a pair of, of sneakers, right? I mean, when it rains, they get wet and I'd feel, that'd be horrible. I mean, I'd be, I, I can't even imagine, right? Because I don't value sneakers that much. I value shoes when I get a deal. Then I feel like, man, I won. Not when I pay more for something I'm going to put on my feet. It's just crazy, right? I promise you that there are things in your life that are probably Yeezys, right? There are things that you, you value, you put your money toward, that in the grand scheme of eternity are completely worthless, and when we stop to think about how we use our money, it reveals something about our heart. It reveals what we value. 
I want you to turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus talks about what really matters and in relationship to our giving. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, whatever your Yeezy may be, right? Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in, and break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I don't know if you ever read this Sermon on the Mount, you hit verse 22 and 23, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought we were just talking about treasures in heaven and on earth. And I don't know, maybe sometimes you feel like that uh, on a Sunday morning, right? I'm talking one direction, you go, wait, what does that have to do? Because a really good sermon kind of just goes like this, from one point to the next. But here we are, we hit verse 22, and Jesus says, you know, if your eye's clear, it's all good. If your eye's bad, and it's all bad. What's he talking about? Well, these are two idiomatic expressions. The eye that's clear is an idiom for generosity. The eye that's bad or evil is an idiom for greed. Right? So he's talking about the heart. And the heart reveals what it loves, at least in part, by where we put our money. So he goes on, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He's not saying wealth is bad. What he's saying is, you live with it, but don't live for it. You live with it, but don't love it. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you put your treasure in earthly things, they're gone. They don't matter. They're a pair of Yeezys that you step in a puddle with and immediately drop value from 6000 to 20 bucks. I mean, that's just the way of the world. So don't treasure these things. Instead, examine what you do with your money as a barometer of the condition of your heart before the Lord. Now, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you, you see this incredible outpouring of the Spirit and as a result, the community begins to courageously bear witness, right? They, they move from being paralyzed by fear to bold, and they're telling Jews and Romans and Greeks and everyone about the gospel. But also, they're transformed into, into this generous community. So uh, those who are local, taking property and selling it, they're, they're divesting their assets. People who come in with extra, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving. They're taking these offerings. They're laying them at the apostles' feet as an act of worship. And then in Acts chapter 5, there's another couple that come, and they want to they make a contribution. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sell a piece of property, and they bring the contribution, lay it at the apostles' feet, and they say, well, we sold it for this amount. We're going to give you the entire amount. But really, they sold it for a greater amount, and they kept some for, them, for themselves. My question is this. Why did they give? What were they after? I want you to just put a, a, a pin in that thought for just a moment. I'm going to tell you about a, a study that was done last year, uh, 2018. A group of psychologists wanted to, to try to discern what are people's motives in giving. So they uh, set up a contribution box at a children's museum. And above the box, 
they put different images and they would rotate the images and they would see what created greater or lesser contribution, right? So initially it just had a picture of a chair and they counted the contribution. Then they switched it and they put up a picture of an ear. They changed it, put up a picture of, of a mouth and then a picture of a nose. And then finally they put up a picture of, of two eyes and contributions rose 75%. Isn't that amazing, right? Nobody was actually watching. It was just a photo of eyeballs because people give more. They reach deeper into their pockets when they think somebody's watching them, right? Either out of guilt or out of wanting approval of others or whatever, contributions went up 75%. Why did Ananias and Sapphira give? Because they wanted people to think well of them. In other words, they were giving to get. It wasn't an act of worship. It wasn't about the Lord, and it wasn't about the needs of the others. It was about what they could receive, what they could take. And the result was very simply that their wealth killed them. Right? Their wealth killed them because they were greedy. Right? The eye was bad. The eye wasn't generous. Now, my point is simply this. In regard to our giving, the only thing that matters is your heart. Not the amount. In regard to your giving, the only thing that matters is your heart. The amount only matters insofar as it's a reflection of your heart. That's it. That's it. And so we take these moments to examine how we give in order to see, uh, allow the Spirit to examine our hearts. So this last year, when we were talking through generosity, uh, Tristan and I felt personally deeply, deeply challenged. I felt challenged on a couple levels. Um, First, as I mentioned last week, uh, I, I think that we realized that we had just become kind of lazy in our giving. Um, you know, because of, we do everything by electronic funds transfer, we get a few letters where we'll actually sit down and write a check, but mostly we just, it's all automatic draft. It's just boom, 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 boom. And, and we realized, you know, we're not stopping and thinking about what we're giving. We're not examining how much we've given. We aren't examining where it's going. We're not examining why we're giving. We're not examining condition of our hearts? Are we giving sacrificially? There wasn't any joy at all. We weren't even paying attention to our giving. And it forced us to stop for a moment and think about our wealth again. And remember, all that we have is a gift from God. Right? God owns everything and he gives it to us so that we have this opportunity to worship with our wealth rather than worship our wealth. And so it was a really, it was for us as a really challenging and refreshing time of re-examination. And what it, it reminded me of is this, as a church, we need to talk about this more frequently. Why? If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, let's read it again. Jesus says this, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so from time to time, we need to stop and think about, where is my treasure? I mean, really, do I believe that some things matter for eternity and other things don't? And I need to have these moments to stop and, and examine. And so uh, we've given you a new card. Uh, if you look in the pew rack in front of you, this is just a tool to let the Spirit speak to your heart. Now, if, if you filled out one of these last year, I want to encourage you to go through the process by yourself or with your spouse again and think about your giving. Are you giving sacrificially? Are you giving strategically? Are you letting the Lord stretch you? Are you giving joyfully? Do you enjoy giving? Is it an act of worship for you? Is it just going through the motions? Now, you may turn that card in again or not. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end if you want to do, do like we did in, you know, in uh, the very beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2. Uh, walk forward and, and make an offering to the Lord. If you want to do that, you may. Uh, it's, not, it's not an obligation, right? This is just a tool. Because ultimately, again, 
The amount is not significant. What matters is our heart. God doesn't need any of our particular offerings. But what he wants is our heart, all of our heart. Or maybe you're new to grace and you're just learning about this. You go, I want to jump in on this. And I want to, I want to think about it. And I want, to, I want to give sacrificially and deeply. We're going to have a moment as we finish communion to come up and write a name on the board. Because that reminds us, why do we do this? For people. We're doing it for people particularly who don't know Jesus. Drop off a card. Maybe stop and pray. Lord, let me take this moment, we're saying, for your spirit to examine my heart so that my offerings are genuinely an act of worship, right? Not for others to see, not for the praise of others, but just for you. So first, generosity honors God. Second, generosity advances the gospel. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. In verse 3, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, in my opinion, uh, Philippians is the perfect example of a missionary prayer letter. Paul is saying to his supporting church, Thank you for your, literally your koinonia, your fellowship or your participation in the gospel. So from the very first day, the Philippian church got it. They realized we've been enriched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been enriched spiritually. Now we have an opportunity to contribute to Paul's ministry as he takes the gospel to other people. Why? Well, what's our calling? Bear witness to the resurrection. But I can't bear witness to the resurrection to everybody. There's some who go to places I can't go, so I can directly influence the advance of the gospel through my giving to those who are taking the gospel to other places. Now, notice what Jesus said. He put it in uh, kind of cryptic terms here in Luke chapter 16, where he said this, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use worldly wealth, so that when it runs out, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. What's he talking about? (laughs) What he's saying is, you have worldly wealth. You have currency that works here on earth. And if you invested in people finding and following Jesus, then someday you're going to step into eternity and people who don't even know you are going to say, thank you. Because of your contribution, I heard the gospel in this far off place, place that you never visited. Come into my home. And let's have fellowship with one another and let me express my gratitude and you'll have all of eternity to share stories, right? And share celebration and to worship together because we made this contribution directly to the work of the Lord, right? So the gospel is advanced directly through our financial contributions, but also indirectly. Jesus also said, by this you all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How does the world know that we love each other? Well, they can't see our emotions toward one another. What can they see? They can see our generosity toward one another. So in the early church, it said they, they came and they brought their, all of their contributions. And anyone who had need in the community was provided for, whether that was food or clothing or shelter. All of their needs were met. And the world looked in and they said, wow, this is a really generous group of people. How did they get that way? Because I used to know my neighbor and he wasn't generous, Right. My my neighbor, would he wouldn't even loan me his mower. Now he's mowing my lawn. What's going on here? There's a transformation in his heart. And this group of people that he he, he gathers with, they're so very different. All of my friends and family, we're, we're thinking about ourselves and we're protecting all that we have. And instead they're giving and they're giving and they're giving. That is, we become 
the PR for the gospel through the way that we love one another. Why? Because our God is generous. Right? God, by his nature, is generous. You know, our God doesn't, doesn't actually take anything from us. He only gives. And he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. In fact, he gave what was most valuable to him, what he ascribed the highest value to, the life of his son. He said, I will give that to you. Because I love you, and I want you to know me. And when we become people who are generous and we give and we give and we give, we reflect the heart of a giving God. John chapter 1, it says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, grace mounted upon grace, more grace. What is the grace of God? It's his unconditional love for us in Jesus Christ. What we didn't deserve, he chose to give. And he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never actually received from the Lord, don't even think about giving back to him. Right? Don't think about supporting uh, our church or any church or a missionary. Don't even think about that until first you've had that moment where you say, God, I don't actually bring anything to you, but I need to receive Jesus from you. And the moment that you make that decision, God gives you his grace. You experience his grace. The removal of your debt of sin forever, life that lasts forever, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you who will transform you and make you into a different person. But don't give until you first received. All right, let me encourage you. Don't give until you first received. But then, church, having received, we've been enriched by Jesus. Let's become generous people because that reflects the very heart of God. Now, third, generosity returns a great reward. God promises to reward our generosity. And we might say to ourselves, you know, that just seems like we're We're being mercenary, right? Now we're back to what we get out of this. But, you know, we're actually commanded. We're commanded to make investments in eternity. And God promises reward. There are all kinds of rewards that are discussed, right? Sometimes it's it's crowns or ruling and reigning with Christ. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, ten times Jesus talks about treasure and reward, a payment back. In other words, he says, this is the, the right thing for God to give back to you. Look at Philippians 4. Verse 17, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I actually seek for the profit which increases to your account. Right? I want you to experience reward. Well, what do all these rewards mean? Um, crowns, I think, are the capacity to worship for eternity. What do we do with the crowns? We take them and we throw them at the Lord's feet. Maybe that's a deeper capacity to really understand the Lord. Uh, ruling and reigning, I think that that's opportunities to serve. Right? You have gifts and desires and passions, and we, we experience fullness when we're doing things. Well, for all of eternity, we'll have the opportunity to be productive. Um, there are those kinds of rewards. And then I think uh, probably the most important reward, I'm going to take you back to Luke 16 again, is, is embedded here in this statement that Jesus made. He said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use worldly wealth, so that when it runs out, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. What's the reward that Jesus is talking about. It's people. Right? It's people. The, the greatest reward that we experience is people. What, what, what actually endures forever? People. Right? God and people. What does God value most highly? His glory and people. And so he says, to the degree that you invest in people, it won't wear out. Where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves cannot break in or steal, he says, I am commanding you Lay up for yourselves treasures there. And what's the greatest treasure? The greatest treasure 
his people. You will never regret what you've invested in seeing people find Jesus, grow in their faith in Jesus, follow Jesus. And Jesus says, whatever you have invested, I will return it tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. There will be reward for eternity, but he also says there's going to be reward right now in the present. Look at one more passage with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is, is praising a particularly generous community. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. It says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So how did they experience God's grace? Verse 2, that in a great ordeal of, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, th- there are more adjectives there than I, can, than I can unpack, but you see what's happening here is Paul says there are these churches in Macedonia, and financially, materially, they're actually really, really poor. But even in their poverty, they begged us, would you please let us help the churches in Jerusalem who have just gone through and experienced a famine. Can we give? Please, Paul, let us give. Paul apparently is going, no, no, you, you have your own needs to take care of. And they go, no, please let us give, let us give, let us give. And he says, the result was this abundance of joy and of liberality, literally, literally of freedom, right? They had freedom because their, their stuff didn't own them. They, they had their stuff freely available to give, right? They weren't, they weren't trapped. They weren't enslaved, And so they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and the result was they experienced this incredibly abundant joy. Who are the most miserable people you've ever met? Greedy people, right? Greedy people are miserable people. Whether it's they won't give you their time, or they won't give you their money, they won't share a skill with you, whatever. Greedy people, their lives just shrink and shrink and shrink. They get to the end of life, and they're lonely, right? Who are the most joyful people? The people who give, and they give, and they give, and they get to the end of their life, and their life is full and rich. Because they were generous. My very favorite moment in the life of our church annually is the furniture giveaway. I mean, I think we do lots of really great stuff around here. That, to me, is one of the best things that we do. We have hundreds of people from our church who give furniture and household goods, plates and tables and chairs and desks and all kinds of things. And we all gather over there. We put it all in order. And uh, then international students come in who, who they've just gotten off the plane and they don't really have anything to set up their home and we get to give and it's really hot it's in august and everybody's sweating and it's you know the the, it's terrible time of year but that's when they have the need and everybody has a smile on their face i mean that is one of the most joy if you have never come to help with the furniture giveaway man i want to encourage you it is the absolute best and we get to give and we get to serve expecting nothing in return and we'll have students who come back in subsequent years and they help with the giveaway because they want to give as they've received. And when they leave town, they bring their furniture back because they want a next generation to receive. And what happens? They experience and they're transformed by generosity. Generosity produces joy. And I would argue there are only two things that drive our behavior in life. It's fear or joy. Fear or joy. Ananias and Sapphira gave, Sapphira gave out of fear. They needed something from the people around them. 
They needed approval. They needed praise. Or you give out of joy. Barnabas gave. Barnabas, son of encouragement. He gave just because he wanted to give. He gave freely. Not because he was forced. Not because he was cursed. It wasn't grudging. It was out of a joyful heart. Because all that really matters in our giving is the condition of our heart. We examine the amount as a barometer of the condition of our heart. Are we giving as an act of worship? As we close, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion. And I think communion is a perfect reminder that we have been enriched by Jesus. So if I could ask the servers to go back and get us prepared. And as we are being served, I want you to um, be thinking about three questions. First is this, are we giving as an act of worship? Or is it, is it really for, is it declaring worth of God? Or are we, are we trying to get something for ourselves? Are we giving out of joy and gratitude? Or is it begrudging? Are we even thinking about our giving? Are we just going through the motions? Are we giving because we believe it matters? That, it genuinely believe, that, that we genuinely believe that, that when we give, more people can hear about Jesus. When we give, it's an act of worship. We're actually putting conscious thought in the fact that our worship matters. Let me read to you uh, chapter 8 and verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. It says, For you know how the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. When we take the bread, we're reminded that Jesus gave everything for us. He gave his body broken. When we take the cup, we're reminded that he's, he, he gave all the way to the point of death. Right? We're reminded that the Father gave what was most valuable to him and that we can give because we're rich. Right? Not out of mere duty, not out of grudgingly, not out of obligation, but because we've been enriched by Jesus. So if I could have the servers come forward, and as they're serving us again, let's just, let's just let the Lord examine our hearts. We'll wait till everyone's served, and then we'll take the cup and the bread together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Let's do this in remembrance. Same way Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, thank you for giving all so that we could have life. Father, thank you for giving what was most valuable to you, the life of your son. Thank you for teaching us what it means to be generous people, teaching us to learn to to give freely, sacrificially, joyfully. We're grateful for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Tim's going to close us in a song and worship together. I want to encourage you, um, if you want to come up and uh, write another name on the board, maybe as Chris Merrill announced, maybe you you have some Muslim friends who don't know Jesus, you want to write their name on the board. Maybe you want to stop and have a time of prayer, or maybe you want to take your card and uh, just put it as an offering before the Lord. Again, it's it's not the amount, and it's not to be seen by others. But sometimes I think that that opportunity just to physically get up and to move and to to pray, to get down on our knees, to involve ourselves completely in giving an act of consecration and worship can be a really wonderful thing. So let's just take a moment as we close uh, and worship together. Father, we thank you for 
give us a moment to stop and remember that even the breath in our lungs is a, is a gift from you. All that we, all that we have is from you. There's no, no reason for us to, to boast in ourselves and what we've done, but instead what your son has done for us. It's your son who's, who's made us rich through his poverty. And now we, we have an abundance so, so we can share. And so I pray, Father, that you would just transform us into those kinds of generous people that we remember that this is a reflection of your very nature, a God who doesn't take and take, but a God who gives and gives. And I pray, Father, that we would become such people. I pray, Father, that you continue to stir up our hearts with boldness and courage to take the message of the gospel to our friends and our families and our neighbor uh, and, and through our generosity to give so the gospel can go to all nations. We, we long for that moment when there are people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around and we're welcoming one another because we've given so that we can all be there with you and worship. Father, thank you for that, that refreshing vision. And I pray that you'd send us out as generous people into a world that's stingy and greedy, but we can be different. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.